Hi guys and welcome to the latest episode of the Rugby Collective Podcast. We've got the big Six Nations review for you guys today with some great news for the Italians and I'm sure you will love our little episode, especially with a little bit of insight into them and their under-20s coming through. Joined once again by James Seagrave. James, how are we doing? All right, I thought you were going to start it with the big James Seagrave stuff. <laughs> I thought that's what you were coming up with, but then you said big Six Nations and I was like, ah, all right. I'll, I'll get in my box. Um, Sorry to get your hopes yeah. up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you've, I've heard you've watched significantly more rugby than you usually do this weekend. So. You do this every week. You know, I watched all of the games, but there was only three, so... <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can class that as all of the games, can you? Well, all of yeah, the Six Nations was... games, I'll let you off. Yeah, the important ones. I was enjoying a few responsible... Um, Guinnesses during the England game so my initial viewing was slightly slightly skewed let's say um, but I'm sure you all uh, fill me in on all of that useful information and probably a bit of negativity around it but we'll get to that when we get to it so you wanted to start off with a couple of uh, Six Nations gradings didn't you really have a look at a couple of the teams in sort of a little bit more depth and see how happy they'll probably be with their Six Nations. I don't think many of them will be particularly happy, will they? No, I think you look at it, you've got two clear um, who look really, really good and are looking like they could pretty much beat anyone in the world right now. Um, And then under that, it's poor. Um, And maybe Italy, but apart from that, no one's going to be happy with their, their Six Nations, no. No, I'd probably agree with that. I think, should we, should we start at the bottom and work our way up then? I think um, that sounds... So if we start with Wales... No, let's start, let's start with Italy. I think if we're, if we're doing table-wise, we'll start with Italy. If we do yeah. performance-wise, we'll, we probably would have started with Wales. But we'll start with, with Italy for the, for the time being. Um, it feels weird to be talking about the team that finished last, but actually in a positive light. Um, I was checking some of the, the ages of this this Italian side that are coming through at the moment. Obviously, Capuozzo is taking the, the headlines, as as you'd expect with that unbelievable setup for the, the Padovani try, right at the depth of that Wales game. Um, but the I, I touched on it before the Six Nations started. The partnerships that you've got brewing with the ages of the players coming through in those positions, it's just crazy at the moment. You look at your Varnies and Garbisis at 9 and 10. You look at Lamoureux, you look at Pelletri. 9 and 10? Bloody yeah, played international rugby young in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Capuozo looked about nine or ten, if we're being yeah. honest. He, he, he looked about that nine or ten kilos, more, more or less. But um, but no, the, the age you've got coming through, you've, you've got some really exciting players coming through, don't you? Yeah, they, they look like they're starting to actually build something, maybe. Um, even Braley, when he took over, obviously Varney got injured a few games before the end, so he came... He took over, and I don't. I think he's only about 26, 27, something like that. So got plenty of years left in the tank. He's not not an aging player, um, and and the, yeah, they seem to have got most of their like old the older guard out. Um, obviously, with the likes of Parise now now retiring. So yeah, looking good. What would you say for Graydon? I'm thinking probably a C, because yes, they did finally win. I think it was after thirty five losses in a row, maybe twenty five, thirty five. I think. Um, it was 36, wasn't it? 30. 30. No, I think it was the 36th game, wasn't it? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. No, we'll go with no, that. I think we'll go with that. 35. Um, Either yeah, way, so, it's no more. 
Yeah, um, and I think probably a C because they still lost every other game. Like, let's not be funny. And they did kind of get a bit battered in most games. I, I think I'm going to bump that up to a B, I think, purely because, as you say, there was a, a, a long losing streak there. Um, I think the only game that could threaten that of being a B would be the England game. Because I think you look at the Italy-France game, Italy really came out of the block strong, looked pretty good. I think they sort of just knackered themselves out in the end um, with that one. Um, the Ireland game, I don't think you can even really review just because of the 13 men on the field. Like this, yeah, true. It's not a great one to look at. I think that the England game, if that one was a little bit closer, it would have definitely been a cemented B B grade for me. Um, and obviously they ran Scotland pretty close, looked like pretty decent against them, and then obviously got the win against Wales. So I think I'd probably say that that was a B tournament for them. Um, and yeah, I, I think. Sort of regardless of the result, the performances we're seeing from it, Italy are better. Um, they, they hadn't had that try scoring sort of ability. They, they they were doing everything right but getting the ball over the line. And once Capuozo came in, it looks like he was that missing piece of the puzzle to, to really drive them through. Yeah, I, no, maybe I agree. Yeah, they they seemed. I think they'd kind of broken the the way that it like watching Italy was very predictable. They'd be competitive for the first 60 minutes. They they wouldn't be winning, but they'd be competitive for the first 60 minutes. And then teams would score three, four tries in the last 20 when Italy ran out of gas because they defended all game. And they didn't... Um, that didn't seem to be happening as much, or at all, really. They seemed to be much more competitive. I think they, their game management overall was a lot better this tournament. The, the way they used their kicks, the kick chasing. Um, but yeah, I would agree. The England game was the most disappointing, I think, for them, especially against an England team that, let's be honest, didn't score points at all this tournament, really. I think they scored four tries apart from against Italy, and I think they scored four tries against Italy, four or five. So you look at that, and that has to be disappointing for them. But, um, yeah, it is the scoring and, and getting over the, the and getting points. But they did rack up. I think with Garbisi there now at 10, his kicking, he can now... Um, keep the, the the scoreboard ticking along so you saw in um well especially in the first half against Wales but also against Scotland where they they just stayed in the game by kicking penalties where previously they didn't have that consistent kicker so they'd either go to the corner and not score or just miss the penalties so yeah I think I think maybe it'd be but I don't know whether you can lose four out of your five games and get a B um that too it's all generous. relative though isn't it it's all relative, I think. That's, I think that's the, the main thing with this. Well, it depends. Do you want to do it on pure sporting merit of of they won no, one it, games and lost is, four? No, it is based on, like, they won one out of five, uh, one out of five, yeah, and had a much better tournament than a Wales team that lost, uh, that won one out of five. Like, So I think it is relative. Um, I also think when you look at it, um, the two games they were probably most competitive were Scotland last week where... They really could they were really in that game and could have won it for a few moments and maybe if they'd been able to score a few more points. And then this week, obviously, they beat beating well. You look at the player who really shone for them was Monteoni. And I think getting him back as their focal point, he I think he struggled a bit in the early weeks, but he really came on strong. And I think it's no coincidence that when he was playing at his best, Italy looks at their best. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. 
as we said, I think one of the important things is, is while we're with this Italian team, not only is all of the players coming through all in that sort of age bracket of early early 20s to mid 20s, that the England, the Italy under 20 side just tied third with um, England. I think on points difference, it pushed them down to fourth. But if you're looking at the actual points, they both got 13 and sat them sort of in the middle of that table. That's really promising signs to, to sort of build this squad and, and get these players in. So it'd be interesting to see how they develop. And as you say, someone like Garbisi to control it. And well, in, in club level, he's keeping um, Andre Pollard out of the side. So you've got these big names. That, well, they're, they're going to be big names. They're going to be household names in these Six Nations tournaments for the last couple of, uh, for the next couple of years. So yeah, for me, it's an exciting time for Italy. I'd go for a B grade. And I'd probably say if we were picking out a key player, as well as Garbisi has done, I'd probably say Lama, uh, Lamoureux would be my key player for that side purely because filling the boots of a leader like Parise would never be easy and to come in and adopt it like he's done and also put tremendous performances in I think he's made more he's the second highest tackler in a Six Nations tournament um, since sort of the, the records have stood so what a what an introduction to the Italian team yeah, no, he he did lead it. You saw, I think, well, I've seen anyway, some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff where you see his speeches. And obviously, I don't have a bloody clue what he's saying, really, because um, I don't speak Italian. But you can see the whole squad getting really pumped and behind him. And, and yeah, he, he did really well. Um, obviously, I think it was his first Six Nations. I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. But, yeah, he came in, led the team, obviously really young himself. And, and promising. And also, I think, Winning the last game is is so good for them mentally because you look at maybe even how they came into the tournament and you look at how in the autumn they lost against Argentina and then they scraped past Uruguay. Um, that's not the way you want to be going into the tournament where now they can be positive. They can, they can come out of this, think, right, we can push on from here. We finally won. We haven't got that bogey hanging over them like bogey run hanging over them um so yeah i I, i'd be i think yeah okay you've convinced me c plus (laughs) c plus wow how generous of you how generous no i I think that's fair we'll we'll agree on that we'll go for a c plus um but yeah i've I've been quite impressed with the italians and everyone always cheers them on don't they but um it's nice to see them get over the line and i definitely also in my predictions earlier on, I did I did fancy them to beat Wales. I said I, I was listening back to our predictions video earlier on, or the other day, and I said I fancied them to beat Wales. Then you told me it was in Cardiff and spoke talked me out of it. But uh, and so I, I don't know how true that is. I'm pretty sure it's probably the other way around. I'm pretty sure I can just remember I said I, I'm pretty sure that that Italy are going to smash Wales and Capuoso is going to come on and score about her. Um, I don't think you even knew who Kapawosa was until about two weeks ago. I probably, well, let's not worry about it too much. But I'm pretty sure I said something along those lines somewhere. Might have been, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just lock that in. Let's just lock that in, shall we? Right, move, moving swiftly on. Um, let's stick with Wales as we're we're on that subject. Um, as you said, Italy winning one game, give them a C plus. We'll look at Wales. Probably not a C plus. What, what are you thinking? Oh, I don't e? know. E? Probably, e? probably. It depends how harsh you want to get with this, isn't it? Um, Z? Do we go that low? <laughs> no, that is harsh. That is 
Definitely. I don't know it is. I don't know it is. Um, I think I think E probably. Uh, you look at the way their tournament started, get absolutely walloped in Ireland. Yeah. Um, then it ended in losing at home to the Italians. Who, let's be honest, no one thought would ever happen. Um, and it didn't really get much better in the middle. Uh, I think they did. They did show sparks um, against uh, England. They, I mean, a poor, a poor England, and then obviously beating Scotland. But Scotland themselves were in particular poor that game. And I, I think the thing that must be worse for the Welsh is that. In that final game, we said all talking about that about their injuries and how how they didn't have the leaders potentially in that. They had Alwyn Jones back. They had Falatau. They had Navidi. Um, they had Josh Adams on the wing. They had so they had a lot of these players in. Had Reece Summit playing, and yet they still lost. Like I think that must be the most worrying thing is they had all these players back by then, and they still lost to Italy at home. Um, yeah, worrying. True. Yeah, and I think I think you've got... You can't not look at the injuries they had going into the tournament. You, when you prepare for, for a major tournament like this, when you don't have your key names, your big leaders, and then sort of drip-feed them through, you, it's, it's not easy to get those players back in and, and sort of integrate them into the side. Um, that being said, they still have a lot of quality. It's not... This Welsh team on paper, you weren't looking at that Welsh team thinking, oh, this is a shit side. Do you know what I mean? There's still, yeah. there wasn't, yeah, there's there's not that sort of drop in quality. What sort of surprised me, well, I say surprised me, what sort of disappointed me with Wales is every time they were trying these out-the-back moves, every, every attacking move was coming back out. Every Everything, they were bringing a player to the line passing it back out and then trying to find the space out wide. Great stuff. If, if that's, that's really good play to spread it. You want an exciting ball. You want it coming out the back. But what you don't, if you don't have attacking ball carriers running these crash lines through the middle, trying to actually, actually commit defenders and make defenders think, oh, this could be coming through to a Falatau or to a Nick Tompkins through the middle or a Cuthbert coming inside looking for work. If you think that ball's going outside every time, that makes it so easy to defend against. Because these dummy runners who are running half-assed lines, that you can just leave them because the ball's not coming through. And they're running through, well, they're walking through a lot of the time. Makes it so easy to just come back across and make that tackle. Um, and it really, I suppose the good thing for Wales is it won't take a lot of work to change that. And in fact, in, as you say, in snippets, we saw this. And every time... Wales were direct and were giving it to your Falatows running these crash lines. They were making yards. And then all of a sudden the space opened up out, out wide. And it goes hand in hand. You just need to... It's such a simple fix, which I think will be a big relief to a lot of the Welsh. It will, It's not something that's completely unfixable and you need to change all of these players. It's something very simple that they just need to make more consistent back through into that side. And that was, I appreciate that's probably the nauseous thing I've said on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, the, their problem, yeah, they didn't commit anybody with their running lines, as you said. Um, and I think they 
with the, the the talent they were missing at middle, they did realise that the, their their uh, real quality players are out wide. The Josh Adams, the Reece Summits, the Cuthberts. Um, so they just seemed to try and get the ball to them as quick as possible, and it meant it was just easy to defend because. Well, I, I definitely saw it this weekend. Italy just targeted Rizamit and just flew up out of the line at him anytime he got the ball went to him because he can't. Um, they were so worried to uh, let him have any room. Now, what Wales should have done is n- notice that right, Rizamit's being taken out, so we'll use him as a decoy runner because they're targeting him because uh, they clearly didn't want to let him run at all because every time he ran, he would. Obviously, he pretty much outgassed anyone. So they, they were really targeting that. So what they should have done is use him as a decoy and then create use that to create space for other players. But that didn't happen at all. Um, and yeah, as you said, the forwards didn't really offer much. Um, yeah, it's back to the drawing board, really, I think. Um, and I think the other worrying thing is, you say about these quality players drifting drift back in, which isn't, was, isn't ideal. Their best player this tournament was probably Falazai. He was the one who came back in and really showed that quality. So, if you, if, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where they go. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, it is tough. And I don't know if you saw the, the interview from Jiffy a couple of weeks ago. Um, he he was very much saying that you need to look at this from a ground, uh, from a, a top up and from a ground up. You, like, this isn't. You look at how the uh, um, the the Welsh club sides are performing now, and they're nowhere near as good as they used to be. You don't have the you don't have a, a dominant Ospreys team or a dominant Cardiff team coming through at the moment. You need you need to have this. There's a lot more structure that needs to be changed in order to get Wales sorted for the future because you need to get this sort of. You don't have the player pool that you used to have with Wales. You still have fantastic players in and around this squad. Don't get me wrong. But there were so many options when, when sort of five years ago, ten years ago, when Welsh players were coming through, um, and I think you just need to get back to that standpoint. But for for the for the right now, they just need to have a little bit of a change of game plan. And there's been a lot of chat about Pivac going. Not sure how true that is, but um, do you think he should? It's tough, isn't it? That I think if you look at performances and you look at results, probably. However. Do you really want to be changing managers um, and head coaches and and all of your coaching set up this close to a World Cup? Probably not. Um, the thing maybe I think do it as a last chance saloon, really. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think probably because you say about them changing coach, but if they carry on in this trajectory, it don't matter if they change if they don't change coach because they're just going to get knocked out early anyway. So. You might as well roll the dice, get some new coaching, and hope you do better. Because let's be honest, if they perform like they did in the Six Nations, they might not even make it out of their group, let alone um, go any further, really. So, so you might as well roll the dice. But also, I think I think the worrying thing, maybe more even more so than results, is performance. A lot of those players kind of look like they were running around without a real game plan, and I think. You look at Warren Gatlin's teams and they didn't always have the best team on paper, but they were all drilled. They knew exactly what they do and they all knew their jobs. And even when he went away with the Lions, which he did a couple of times, 
that Wales team could still perform, maybe not to quite the same standard, but they could still perform because they all knew their jobs. It was very structured. They don't seem to know what they're doing, really, which I think would be a more worrying sign, maybe even so than performance, uh, than results, would be large, large portions. They don't seem like they're in cohesion with each other. So, yeah, I, d- I don't know. I think, yeah, probably maybe look elsewhere, but I don't know. I don't know who. Yeah, I, th- I think one player for me that I'd really like to see used in a different way is um, Halaholo in the centres. Um, I think he wasn't used at all, was he really? I know, but what, when I saw him play, he was very much used as sort of a playmaker coming round the corner, sort of spreading that play wide again. He's got great footwork and he's got the ability to do it. Fantastic. However, what I'd like to see from him, he's got the power and he's got more power than most of those Welsh centres. If we, we say it all the time when we're talking about England and Tuolangi and we'll talk about it with France and the effect that Dante has on the team and, and Vakatawa has. In, maybe Vakatawa is a little bit different with the way that he plays, but Dante especially is a great example. But if you have someone like Halaholo just absolutely steaming through the middle of that, that pitch every time, every single play they've got something on on the back of a scrum or the back of a line-out or even just quick ball when you've got a, a nice bit of room to play with. You've got a player like him coming through the middle. You need to commit players there as, as a defensive side. For yeah, me, Jamie, that, Roberts. Jamie Roberts is a great example. Even Hadley Parks, when he played, he was he was a, a tremendously difficult player to, to, to sort I of bring to the ground. I those two players. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, it's the same... Do you understand? Yeah, what, I know. You Jamie can't, Roberts, you can't play Jamie Roberts to Hadley Parks. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But like the style <laughs> of player, I mean, do you know what I mean? It's the same... Well, I think their problem was with obviously George North still out injured because again he does a similar role, but he's got that bit more gas that he can get to the outside and go around place. But I think a lot of what uh, troubled Wales was they got Watkin and um, Tomkins in the centres, and I think maybe similar to England but different sort of players. Those two players are very similar, um, so it meant they had two players who did do very similar things in the centre. And you need two players who can offer a bit of something else. Because if you have two similar players, it just blunts what you can do. Um, and especially when you don't have that almost like Marcus Smith sort of player as Dan Bigger. He's not going to step four players, run through a line, make a line break um, because he's that bit older and, and that's not really his game. When you put all three of those players together, it does limit what you then can do, which is why I think they did try and rush the ball out to the wings who who have that real dynamism and, and can really break through line make line breaks and stuff. yeah no I, I'd agree with you I think if you're having these two playmaking 12s uh, well two playmaking centers you need to have a very specialist back line and and well just a very established team anyway for to, to really be fluid and worked in my opinion anyway but yeah I'd probably go with a D for Wales just because I don't want to be too pessimistic but it wasn't. It wasn't a very good tournament for them. They'd be disappointed. Um, yeah, they just need to sort of sort themselves out and maybe try a couple of different things through the autumn, um, through next year's Six Nations, and then hopefully by the World Cup they've got something sorted out a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think we'll, I'll stick with a D for that one. So D minus it is then. <laughs> Go with D minus. Meet in the middle. There we go. I think who, who would you say was key player? I'd probably say Falatau. Yeah, I guess Falatau, but it's kind of harsh on actually Will Rowland. Yeah. yeah, or Will Rowland. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I think I think it's harsh on Falatau 
Um, uh, harsh on other players because Falatau obviously missed the first couple of games. But yeah, yeah probably yeah, their best. Will Rollins. I forgot about Will Rollins actually. Sorry, mate. Their best performer was probably Falatau, but overall maybe Will Rollins. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a. It, well, he he was one of the players who were playing like he he wanted to earn his shirt for the next game. Do you know what I mean? It, and then was, he got dropped anyway. So <laughs> I thought that was incredibly harsh. I, I I fully understand that. Obviously, the, the 150 up for Alan Wynn, but. To, to bench a player after he's had a bit of a blinder this tournament. That's that doesn't fit particularly well for me. Have you seen Alan Wynn's record though? No. Um is is it, 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 I saw a thing a, a couple of days ago. And basically if it's a big game or anything, you don't want Alan Wynn playing for you. Because basically like on his it's like on his 50th cap, on his hundredth cap, and now his 150th cap, he's lost all of them. Um on his first Lions captaincy he lost on his Lions debut he lost basically if there's a big event for Alan Wynn Jones he loses that game so you don't want him on your team <laughs> it's not a great start is it no it's not, it's it's not it's literally the amount of them that they have his big like big stats I think even on his on his Wales debut he lost so it's just like oh his his big big um big appearances he seems to lose which isn't ideal yeah, that is, that is very important. I think the pause that you had after you said big a few times there was quite amazing. Amazingly timed as well. <laughs> Alan wins big, big, big appearances. <laughs> very well timed. I like it. I like it. So we'll stick with a D minus for Wales. I think that's probably fair with all things considered. Um, yeah, poor, poor Wales, unfortunately. Um, we'll go to Scotland. I don't know if this is going to be particularly particularly glowing either, is it? No, not really. All the promise... Oh, well, same old, same old Scotland, isn't it? All the promise in the world still can't deliver. No, unfortunately not. There was... I think one of the big things for them was the absence of Duan van der Merwe. Um, he's the type of player that you build back lines around. Um, Obviously, the argument, the counter argument to that will be the back line with with Ali Price and Finn Russell is is that's that that's the the headline there, isn't it? Really, um, but I think you don't need to create that much room out wide for Duan to have a big effect. Um, if he if he's sat with, he doesn't need space. He needs one defender in front of him. He's, for him, that's a that's a nice run in there. Um, losing someone like that is a real blow. Um, yeah, it just didn't quite click, did it, for Scotland this year? No, and you say about Duan, but they lost to Scotland. Uh, they lost to Wales without him, uh, and we just spoke about how poor Wales were. So, um, no, they lost to Wales with him. Sorry. So, I was say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think overall they had little bright sparks. Darcy Graham was brilliant. Um, Rory Darge came in was brilliant. But apart from that, you look, Finn Russell was poor. Hogg, I thought, was pretty poor. Um, a lot of their players didn't really perform. I know Hamish Watson's got that stat where he's he's made 700 billion tackles in a row without missing one. But I thought for him, for his overall performance-wise, he was fairly poor. Um, yeah, they just didn't seem quite at it. And I, I think, obviously... Beating England 
it started off so well. I mean, England didn't play well particularly, um, but still, they still had to beat them, and, and they did. But yeah, from there, it never, let's be honest, never really got any better. They beat the Italians, but that's what is expected of. That's why I think the Wales game, it's, it's got to the point where it's expected. That is what, what you do, you beat Italy. Um, and I don't even think they really got close to winning against anyone else, did they? Um, I don't know if they did, actually. Well, they got Wales. pretty well out by France. Yeah. They were close in the in the Wales game as well, to, in, in credit. But, yeah, um, Wales were... I thought that was the worst I've seen Scotland play because Wales came off the back of absolutely entranced by Ireland and it looked easy. And then Scotland looked quite good against England. So you thought, oh, here we go. Wales low on confidence, Scotland flying. This should only go one way. And it's one of the worst performances I've seen by Scotland. No control, no composure. They just didn't look at it. Um, so, yeah, poor... Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. One player I would like to mention, though, who had a, had a good game, obviously outside of those that you've mentioned, I thought Matt Ferguson was pretty good. Um, yeah. A real a real curry and dominance uh, in the pack really came alive against uh, England. And, and probably that was the, the game changer of the England game when, when he was just sort of charging through the middle, um, always always showing that intent to, to sort of drive through. I've just in here that he's only 23 years old, which is an absolute joke. Um yeah. Didn't realise he was so young coming through. So credit to him. Um, but yeah, I, what, I said in my prediction. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. You I, carry on. What I said in my predictions, I think, have just come true during the season. Um, I said at the start that Ireland may uh, Scotland may start well, but fall away due to injuries. Um, and I think Ferguson got injured pretty early on. Um, and you look at some of the other players, like, well, Van der Merwe didn't get injured, but he got suspended. And they do have a thinner squad than most others. Um, and it's like, I can't remember who was on the wing replacement for Van der Merwe, but I'll tell you what, he's some way off. Um, everything I saw from him was pretty poor. Um, so, yeah. Just average, it, wasn't it, really? Um, yeah, well, I think, yeah. And, and I think that may be their problem. You look, at, we said about Wales, but if Scotland had as many injuries to key positions or key players as Wales did, Scotland could well have lost every game because they don't have that depth in their squad. Yeah, and I'm just going to go on a bit of a side here, um, just while I was doing some research as we were recording. Um, we'll, we'll touch on it a bit more later on in the episode, but it's been confirmed today on the day of recording that Veilanu is leaving Worcester Warriors to go to Glasgow Warriors. Just had a look at Glasgow's team. They, they're going to have a potential back row of Rory Dodge, probably in the seven shirt, Veilanu, most likely in the eight shirt, and then probably Matt Ferguson shifting across to the six shirt. Um, we think is Richie still about there? He's going to be playing in that playing in that back row too. That's some back row. That's going to be quite exciting come European time next year, isn't it? Yeah. Ball carrying yeah. in that. And Oof. maybe. Maybe that is partially the problem as well. You look at, you said about the Welsh clubs, obviously not performing as they should be, but Scotland have only got two. So you look at the amount of their players that don't play in Scotland, you look Hogg, um, Harris, um, what's his name? Russell. Lots of their key players don't even play in Scotland. And I think it does help. Well, you look at Leinster. Leinster is 
90% the Irish team. That cohesion that they have definitely helps when it comes to we. And these players aren't just playing in different clubs. They're playing for different in different leagues. So that probably isn't helping either. No, it, it probably won't help, but that's pretty exciting all the same. <laughs> um, but no, it, when Scotland beat England, not only did is that a big result for them on paper, I thought I was really impressed with their performance as well. Um, I thought they just, they ground it out enough to get the win and come away with it. And I was convinced they were going to do a job on Wales. Um, but then as soon as they lost that game, and they didn't look particularly great in that, I think they just sort of heads down and, and carried on. They almost let the Italy game slip out of their hands too. And with Italy coming up on the rise, is Scotland need to get back to their best essentially, and they've got the, they've got all of the potential to be one of the one of the great teams now, and they've got the the side for it. They just need to to get that consistency. And in a similar vein to Wales, once they get that through these autumn games next season, Six Nations building it up again, will they have a bit of a World Cup shove? Maybe we we don't know, but you, you look at those sort of things. What even is a successful World Cup for for Scotland now? How, how do you even pinpoint that? I don't know. It's well, that's the thing as well. You say about all the potential and everything, and every year we say it. But I think their best in the Six Nations was last year's third. But they never they were never in it to win it. Um, they were never in contention to win. So I think that's the thing. Like Scotland have they for years they were they were kind of battling Italy for the wooden spoon. And that was the competition. If Italy could beat Scotland, whoever lost that game got the wooden spoon. They, they've elevated themselves from that. They now need to get to the next level and be really pushing because at the moment they don't seem to be able to compete with the likes of Ireland or France when they're at their best. Who I think that was one of the games for France that really impressed me. We'll go into this in a minute. But France quite often struggle when they have to go up to Murrayfield. But France came to Murrayfield and absolutely bullied Scotland. And, yeah, they need to find a way to elevate themselves to that next level. And coming back to your question, I think, yeah, maybe, I guess, quarterfinals. You, you're happy if you get quarterfinals, maybe through to the semis. But it's, it's difficult because it depends on who you draw. If you get New Zealand or South Africa in the quarters, it's very different. You, you're going to not really, you're probably going to struggle against them. Do we know who's in their group for the next World Cup? Not off the top of my head, no. Let's have a look, shall we? So I believe they'll have Ireland, South Africa, an Asia slash Pacific side, and a European two side. Ouch. So they're going to struggle to get through their group based on what we know right now. Let's Big be honest, they're not, they can't, they won't be Ireland based on current, and they won't yeah, be. But will South they beat a World Cup Ireland? This is true, but what Ireland normally get through their group okay and then bottle it. <laughs> Fair. Can't see them beating the South Africans, but then again, who knows? Who knows? It's a long way off. It's a long way off. Um, it's not really. It's only a year, isn't it? Yeah, but you look at the difference a year can make in international rugby terms. It's massive. And it the is... amount of factors going into a big, a big tournament is crazy. Yeah, true. I think that their problem is... They have to have everyone fully fit. And perform. And, then, and they have a chance. And Good point. The build-up to World Cups, how many times have we seen people get injured for every country? 
it's very rare that any team goes into a World Cup fully 100% fit. No, that's true. That's probably the smartest thing you've said, James. I'm quite impressed there. That's, that's good. Um, <laughs> very welcome. Um, <laughs> but no, that, that is a very good point. And they, they're reliant on, on a few key players, like many nations are. But you take a lot of the key players out of Ireland and they've got another one to come in. And France, you take a key player out of France, they've got about 15 to come in. So that's and the same with a lot of the Southern Hemisphere sides too. So that's the sort of thing you're competing with when you get to a World Cup stage. So be interesting to see, but I'm not even really sure what grading I'm going to put on this Scottish side. Probably. Better than Wales? I don't know, because we can't give it the same as Italy, surely. Yeah, but I reckon Italy will be happier with their Six Nations than Scotland will. Yeah, that's what I mean. So what did we give Italy? A C minus? No, we gave Italy a C plus. So I'm thinking, oh. you give Scotland a D plus or a C minus? I reckon C. No, I reckon C minus. How do we split that? Well, fine, I'll say D, and then we go C minus. <laughs> oh, all right, okay, we'll go. <laughs> okay, fair. So <laughs> C minus for Scotland, I think that's fair. So that, that in comparison to the, the D minus for Wales, I think that's that's probably fair, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I think when you, yeah, because they yeah, still can't be happy, really. Yeah. Um, especially after the start they made. Like, if, if they hadn't beaten England, I think I would have almost, in a way, been, like, not as harsh on them. Um, but to get, to start like that and then fall off is uh, uh, disappointing. No, I agree with that. And I think most Scottish people would also agree with that statement. Um, moving on to England. Where to, Where to start? Disappointing, isn't it? Disappointing. The style of play just isn't quite there. Um, the this is interesting, man. Interesting. Is I it? I think the thing is, it's not <laughs> disappointing, but not surprising. I think is, is that's a good point. You're on fire today, James. I am, but I think that's that's the upsetting thing. Is really is it's not surprising at all. Um, let's be honest. We had very little hope. Well, actually, I I think I, in my predictions I said England would get second, but France. What was I on? Bloody hell. Um, no, See, this, this is the... We're talking about comparisons. This is the comparisons of your performance today. We've had comments like England are going to top, be ahead of France. Do you know what I mean? This is why I'm so impressed with your, your strong comments today, <laughs> I think. Hey, my predictions are normally all right. Um, Clearly. <laughs> England, yeah. I mean, I think you have to first look at selection and I think... It was wrong. the The whole squad was wrong. Um, to be honest, you look at you look at the depth of talent that England have, and we somehow still um, managed to perform subpar and have no attacking. That's one of the, one of the things I don't get. We have no attacking threat. You look at some of the players we've got on our team and the ten. How have we got no attacking threat when we've got one of the most attacking 10s, if not the most attacking 10 in the world? I, I don't understand how you can have no threat. And I think I think the other thing is, you look at the Wales, I think the best England played, I thought England played well against Ireland, considering, if you take out the last 10 minutes, which was was always going to be a tricky when they had um, were down to 14 men for so long. 
if you take out that last 10 minutes, England were really good against Ireland and probably deserved the win, um, considering they were a downer man. But I think if you look at how England played the best, the first 10 minutes they came out in the second half against France, they looked really good. It almost looked like Eddie, or maybe not even Eddie, but the players had kind of gone, right, let's just go and have fun. We're losing. It's the last game of Six Nations. Let's go and have fun. Kind of forgot a bit about structure, played a bit more loose, and like the players kind of played how they naturally would, weren't really thinking about it. And that was the best we played. And then after that, France's defence, Defense? I've turned it to America. Um, France's defense was the strongest in the Six Nations, I think. Um, so they kind of got on top. But also, it was almost like England kind of went strip, went back into their structure the longer the half went on. And the longer it did, the worse England looked. So I think maybe, yeah, maybe it's, it's a structure thing. I don't know. It was just poor either way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think Andy Goode made a very good point the other day. He said... Marcus Smith, as well as you just referenced there, Marcus Smith is is one of the best attacking tens in the game. How often do you see him kick the territory? We see, I think, if if you looked at it on, on kicks as a whole, the amount of times he goes for crossfield kicks and and sort of grubber kicks in behind and little chips, he, he does that a lot for Quinns. But clearance kicks, territory kicks, ch- up and unders to chase, we don't see those almost at all for Quinns unless they're in like a a bit of trouble, and even then we see him throw it about a bit more. But it's you can pick whichever players you want, but if they don't fit into this very boring, dry structure of set it up, go for a few drives, if we don't get it, kick it away, hope for the best type thing. It's, yeah. it's just not there, is it? The attacking structure is just not there. It also relies on pack dominance, which, which it always has. Them. You look you look back to the games we won, World Cups, even the semi-final, we managed to dominate New Zealand in the semi-final. Our pack dominated their pack. We got on the front foot and we looked great. We then got into the final. South Africa have a bigger pack and dominated us and we couldn't do anything. Um, you look at Ireland this week, out of this Six Nations, even with Jack Noel on the wing, we managed to absolutely batter them up front and it managed to allow us to be in the game and well, largely just down to penalties, we could we could stay in the game. Um, but yeah, I think overall we've not had the pack dominance. But it's no surprise when you look at the pack and the size of it, you're not going to dominate when when you pick the pack of our size, which it's quite a small pack, especially when you compare it to like the French pack. Yeah, um, I think to be honest, I think if you compare any pack to the French pack, they're going to look small. But I think that's just because the French are absolutely ridiculous the players to be able to pick a, a pack as big as that if you look in the premiership yeah I, th- I think i think the one position that we need to really nail down in terms of who are we going to go for is the second row purely because we have too many players sort of in on the fringe at the moment we need to i think obviously it's difficult with uh johnny hill being out injured who, who seemed to be the first choice in the row with um with Maro, obviously but with back rowers, you have very similar players in terms of players that can come into each position, whereas you don't have that with second row as much. I thought Ezekiel was fantastic when he came um, in. I was quite impressed with him. Um, been impressed with him at Saracen, been impressed with him when he went to Northampton. Similar in that sort of Courtney Law's mould where he can fill in at six if required. Um, 
quite a tall, rangy sort of second row, but also carries quite a bit of power in there too, which is always nice. Um, but again, at the end of the day, if you don't have the, the structure and the systems in place, it doesn't matter which personnel you've got there because it's not it's not See, functioning in the way you want it. I think the position that's more important than set at second row um centers we are a mess at centers you could see it throughout the tournament we never got it right i don't think any of the combinations we tried worked really um we we need uh we need a consistent pairing you watch clubs and you have to have an understanding between the centers you need to know what you're going each player is going to do and it just didn't work especially the slade daily partnership because it just meant we every time we were kicking it and we had nobody to run in because the person the other centre who might be chasing it is kicking it. So it was. It doesn't work. I don't really like Slade at 12. And I think one of the major problems for England in this, in this World Cup is it was so easy to defend our backs. You look at... You either need, really, pace or size. And you look at England, no, no size apart from Freddie Stewart, and you're not really going to send your fullback on too many crash lines. And... They had no pace, really. You look, Malin's not really that fast. Daly's got a bit of gas, but he's not, you wouldn't say he's express. Um, and then we had Noel on the other wing, again, not that fast. You look at previous years, we've had Anthony Watson and Johnny May on the wings. They have both real gas behind them. So you, you look, and this year, and we just had nothing. And I think it did, it, it did create problems with our chase because you couldn't, we were kicking so much, but we haven't got the gasket under it to chase the kick properly to put pressure on it um and yeah i think i think i don't know what the solution is the manu to any hole that we've got um at england that we've been trying to solve ever since he's been injured um i think the problem with 12 is who do you put in because you've, you've got such a lack of 12s you've only got dan kelly max ajomo ollie lawrence about a million other 12s coming through that can fill that hole well, I think you've got Atkinson, who, who's almost sort of your ready-made one who can come in now. For me, the three that I've just named there, I'm probably forgetting someone off the top of my head, but Max Ajomo's looked uh, an absolute bright spark over at Bath at the moment. Um, yeah. You look at Ollie Lawrence, obviously a bit different because he's not been fit this year, but in previously, it's coming through that 12. He almost looks like a, a, a Manitoulangi apprentice coming through in the way that he sort of, it, with his directness with ball carries, but also with this ball handling to get that out the back to a Farrell or a Smith that's wrapping back around him. Or you look at Dan Kelly, who's been stellar for um, uh, Leicester this season, a real big ball carrier again. Someone also, like that that's need. really young. It's exactly that, yeah. Sorry, that's what I was meant to, to mention. You, you've got Atkinson, who's sort of 30, 31 now, but he can fill the gap for, for the time being. And then you've got these other players... Um, who can come in and do it? Luke Northmore could fill in. I prefer Luke Northmore more as a 13 personally, just because I think having the pace and agility that he has on top of the strength when he feeds out into those wider channels, I think that's fantastic for me personally. But he could do a really strong shift at 12 also. You have the, that's the most frustrating thing. We're not looking at these positions thinking, oh, I wish we had this player to come in and or, or this sort of style of player to come in. You look at the wingers. You want a quick winger, go get Adam Radwan. Go get Ollie Hassel-Collins. Go get Ollie Thorley. If you want a big, a big stronger winger, go look at Joe Cockney Senior or Hassel-Collins to go on, on that side. Do you know what I mean? You've got, you've got those yeah. players available to you. Just like use them. 
And I think it's the persistence as well. These players weren't performing yet. They're still getting picked every week. Um, and for me, it's epitomised by Charlie Yules. You look at him and I think 99% of this country wouldn't have him in your England team. And then, especially after the season he's had with Bath, and then he goes and does something like that stupid against Ireland. I mean, I don't get it. Um, I think, realistically, for this squad, I would rip it out. I'd get rid of Eddie Jones, but that that's just besides the point. That's not going to happen. The RFU have already said they're going to um, back him. But I think you you stick with some of your players. I'd have Genge, the likes of Genge, Atoja, Mar- obviously Marcus Smith, Freddie Stewart, the ones who really stood up. I think those four are probably the four that stood out to me, this Six Nations. I don't think anybody else really did. Um and I, I, I back those players and rip it out, get a load of new young players in, um, maybe a few of the older guard. So then, so more like your Don Brants and stuff, and to, obviously like Tom Curry. And then just, so you've got a mix of experience and youth, because otherwise you're going to leave yourself, if Ben Youngs retires soon, we have no nines really with any international experience. So we would be in a real bad problem because we haven't blooded any of these young players. So we need to do that throughout the squad and, and just bring in like a new chapter really, because we've kind of not really developed that much since the last world cup. You look at a lot of these players are still players and, and a lot of these players have got, just got worse, but they're four years older or three years older or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You, you need that mixture of experience and youth to come through and, We've got the player pool there. Let's just hope that Eddie has a look at them and actually brings them through as as we'd everyone else would like them. But there's probably a reason he's sat in the chair and we're sat in a squeaky office chair back at home. Um, but the 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 foundations are there, the the options are there, the the abilities there. Just need to get them in, move them in the right into the right positions, which would be a good start, and then go from there and, and see what happens. But yeah, hope, let's hope come World Cup time you can work his magic again and we can go back to, to the New Zealand semi-final sort of performance. Um, that would be fantastic. Um, moving on. Oh, grade him. We haven't graded them yet. Um, D? I'd probably... Uh, tough. C, C, D, C, D plus. C. D. No, I think D. So D plus? We'll go D plus. Yeah, I'm happy with a D plus. I think it's got to be slightly worse than Scotland because Scot- you don't expect as much from Scotland, I think, and they finish on the same points. So, no, fair. We'll go with that. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. So, moving on to some slightly more positive um, reviews, we'll go for yeah. Ireland. Um, I had them down as my winners. Obviously, the the Thanks. loss to France was. Well, that, that was the turning point, wasn't it? That was the that was the difference. Um, I thought they were really good, so dynamic. The the way they integrate their forwards in with their backs in these moves, you often see Van der Fleer, Doris Conan going through the lines in the way they're they're moving it around. I thought Jameis Gibson Park really came through and stood up, really put his hand on that nine jersey and said, "Sorry, Conor Murray, mate, that's that's going to be mine for the time being." Um, yeah, Sexton looked. Looked pretty consistent, didn't he? I, yeah, you've got Hugo Keenan, massive player. Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed watching the Irish play. They're the most dynamic, sort of exciting team that that I, I think are about at the moment. 
yeah, they look just as kind of dissimilar to Wales, where I said Wales don't really know what they're doing. Ireland just look drilled. They know they know everyone's jobs. They're hard to beat. They're solid. Um, yeah, they're just good everywhere. Uh, the amount of players they can bring in, um, you like you saw. Uh, obviously, Keenan played most games, but they've got players like Jordan Lamo who didn't even get a game. Balakune didn't get a game. Um, obviously, what's what's the fullback who played against Sicily called? Uh, I can't remember his name. Lowry, he came in, scored a couple of tries against Italy and then didn't play again. So they've got so many options for so many good players. Um, yeah, they're really, really good. I think the one maybe disappointing performance would be against England. Um, I know they eventually won by a, a stretch, but really for England to, to, to peg them back for as long as they did, I think would be annoying, um, would annoy Farrell uh, that, that they didn't really push on from that. Um, because especially what from what they did to Wales, I think they could have had a similar almost result to England and and, and made, put a real stamp on the the, the um, Tri Nations. Um, yeah. No, I think that's fair. Um, I think what the if you're looking at sort of next steps now, obviously we've spoke about the World Cup quite a lot on this episode. Looking at next steps going forward, I think the difference would. The, Ireland aren't going to get away from the fact that they're known now for not turning up at World Cups, no matter how good their form is leading in. All of the conversation, I expect they'll go and have a good autumn. I expect they'll probably have a, a very decent Six Nations. But you'll still go into that World Cup thinking they're, they're not as... They're, they're, they're going to fold. They're not going to be as good. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they... They get on there. Obviously, you said it there. The amount of riches they have in that in that sort of roster, that that squad, that aren't being used yet. They've got so much more potential to tap into. So, yeah, I've, I've been really impressed with them. I, I'm not even sure what grading I'm going to be. Probably a B plus because they didn't win it. I imagine. No, I think A. Uh, a minus. A minus. Yeah. Because let's be honest, what was the what was the score in the end? France Island. What was the score? It was tight. Yeah, it wasn't far away, was it? Let me check. It was. When did they play? Third week, second week. Thirty points to twenty-four. So losing bonus point territory. Yeah, and they got a bonus point every other game. I'm pretty sure. So wipes the floor with everyone else. I think. That was this uh, like alarming thing in this Six Nations was these two top teams were well it's reflected in our ratings. They're like too clear of everyone else. They were so far clear, these two that let's be honest, if you if you went to um the World Cup, you'd say these two would be if they didn't get to the final, they'd be like a, that'd be a failed World Cup for them. Well the others, if they got even to a semi, you'd say that they've exceeded expectations. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. The only reason I would say a B plus, I think, is I think I think you've got to keep the A's for winning, don't you? Unless unless Italy came through and, and won three out of five or something like that. Um, have you got A plus? Pardon? You got A plus? I don't mind. Yeah, give them a B, B plus. Why not? We'll go B plus just because I've let you have your way on all of the other ones, so we'll we'll lock in B plus. Well, I was trying to be um, nice for one, but well. Fair. That is that is rare. Maybe it just caught me off guard. Maybe that was the problem. Um, yeah. 
But then if you, you, you look at France, I think that that's an A plus all day long. Easy peasy. Oh, well, it Grand has to be, hasn't it? Grand yeah, looked, looked so strong. Never really looked like they were going to struggle. Although they did get, for, for a moment in that Scotland game, um, in sorry, not the Scotland game, the France game, Wales looked like they might have had them on, on the ropes, but but they came through. And I think that just proves what a side they are. Even when they're not at 100%, they're still going to be here. If it, they're, they're a crazy team at the moment. They've, they've got the best nine in the world. They've probably got one of the top three tens in the world. They've got centres coming out of their ears. Vakatawa, Teddy Toma, not even in the squad. It's just, it's, it's just a crazy, crazy squad. This is a once-in-a-lifetime team, I think. Yeah. Well, I could probably name a backline of players who are in this squad who'd bloody um, play for most other teams. Like, you look at Seren as well. Was it in it? Racker's not in it. Um, Jalibert. Like, we've just mentioned pretty much a whole backline that would start for pretty much the rest of the Six Nations, but they can't even get in this France squad. So the de- depth... The depth in the squad is unbelievable, but I think the what the one game that really stood out for me was the Ireland game. I think, well, in my predictions, I said then when it gets grindy and horrible and nasty, that's when France struggle. Um, they can play the flair, and we obviously we did see that. I think especially against Scotland, we saw them flair. But when it gets grind and they turned up, they and I think especially it was just after half time. France looked kind of clear, and then I think Scotland scored in ten minutes after half time. Scored a couple of quick tries. Um, and it really looked like, oh, oh, sorry, Ireland. Ireland are getting right back into this, probably going to win this now and push on and win. And then Scotland, uh, uh, France, sorry, I'm getting all my nations mixed up here. <laughs> and France really gripped hold of the game and took control. And I think it's that control they now have of the game. And yeah, Dupont is absolutely unbelievable. I think I said after the first couple of rounds, he wasn't quite as good and he needed to turn up. And then, boy, did he turn up for the rest of it. Obviously, just coming back off injury. And he looks, he looks like the best player in the world that he is. Um, so, yeah, really, really good. Um, not much more you could ask for. All the players are still fairly young. They haven't got an Asian squad at all. So, yeah, really promising for the next World Cup. You've got to look at it. And if France repeat this next year, then they've got to be one of the favourites for, uh, for the World Cup. Yeah, I don't see how they're not in that favourite. I don't see how they won't be in that favourite conversation um, by the time we get there. I think you look at it, if, if you take it, like really strip it back to basic terms, you have a massive pack playing in front of an extremely quick and technically gifted backline. And in terms of what you want when you're building your dream teams and everything like that, that is exactly what you want. You want a, a huge, strong, dominant pack that can go to most places and give them, give them how. And then as soon as they've won that that possession, won that space, drove them back, you give it to DuPont, Intermac, Vakatawa, Fiku, Dante, Villiers, whoever you want, Peno, just, just any French bloke, just give them a ball and he's probably going to run it over at some point. Um, and yeah, I think what, what a side. Sean Edwards and the job he's done on the defence, because they went from having, I think that was always Frank's weakness in recent years, has been their defence, and especially the amount of penalties they give away in defence which has really killed them. But this year, they didn't give away penalties. They won some of, one of the most amount of turnovers on defence, and they were just really, really solid. And, I mean, Sean Edwards is basically a cheat code at this point. I mean, the amount... I saw a thing, it was a percentage of his wins with um, nations that he's coached, and it's, it's stupidly high. 
So he has really molded that French team's defense and that they've just built off that because the amount of penalties they weren't in good positions, um, which then just allowed them to play on or Jaminet to have a go at the sticks. Yeah, really, really impressive. Yeah, and I think I think Edwards is probably just about the most valuable man in rugby coaching at the moment, isn't he? The way that he's yeah. um he's going about Definitely his yeah, he's been linked to the England job. I've seen him linked to the Wales job. I've seen him linked to the, the Scottish yeah. job. <sighs> yeah. He came from the Wales job to France. Yeah. but he, Yeah, I'm not saying any of these have got any legs, but that's just what I've been seeing about. Um, so, yeah, crazy, crazy coach, crazy players, crazy team, crazy results. Just an unbelievable side. Um, and, yeah, Alain Le Bleu, um, Grand Slam champions. Says it all, doesn't it? Says it says does what that says on the tin. So if, yeah, we, we locking in A plus there. I think that's all there is to say yeah. about it, isn't it? S plus. If that's if that's a good thing, is S plus a good thing? I don't know. But no idea. What's that? It, well, some things S is better than A, isn't it? Like you go from A to plus S, no? I have no idea, but we'll go with we'll we can give them S plus if you want. <laughs> a star. A star. A star, that's yes. We'll go with A star. Throw it back. Proper. English GCSE, that let's get it in there. Nine, um, number nine. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Forget about that. Forget about numbers. I get all confused. Um, so we're going to go through our our Six Nations team of the tournaments now. Um, so do you want to rattle off your pack, and then I'll rattle off mine after, and then we'll have a little comparison. See see where we go with that. Uh, I'll do front row because otherwise it might get a bit long to come confused. So my front row is. As a lot of this team is 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 French, is Cyril by Marchand Antonio. Yeah, can't go wrong. You've got the absolute flipping fridge freezer and Antonio on the one side. Cyril yeah. by Cyril by really impressed me with his hands this year. Um, a lot more technical yeah. than I thought he was. Um, also, whilst being the size of a, a small um, minibus, rhino. rhino also rhino. Um, yeah, class and Marchand just. Does it every year, doesn't he? Does it every year? Yeah. Um, I've gone for Genj, Sheehan, and Antonio. Obviously, Antonio, as we mentioned, is absolutely mahusive. Um, Sheehan, if he didn't have a two on his back, I would have thought he was a six. The way he gets around that pitch, I think it was um, in that in that last game of the tournament when Sheehan was packing down, um, they were really struggling to get their balance because he was just so much taller than everyone in the front row. He looks like a bit of... He's probably the tallest, one of the tallest tookers I've seen. Um, and he gets around the pitch he's like it too. He makes tackles all over the shop. He's, um, a, he's a cracking player. Only like yeah, only six or something as well, isn't he? Six years old, seven years old. Something like that. So I, I nearly put Genji in, I have to say. I thought his performance against Ireland was unbelievable. But I just think England's pack was too uh, unreliable throughout the tournament. But I think that's the real thing for France, just the consistency. Um, yeah, really good. Uh, yeah, from all of them. No, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I just enjoyed Genji's sort of intensity and his carries um, and work sort of in and around that breakdown too. I thought I was he was a uh, pretty strong there. Um, I went for Will Rollins and Wokey in the the second row. Um, very tempted to put a Toji in too, but I went for Wokey just sort of on on the the team's performances from there. But I would like to add, I'd rather see him in a six shirt than a four or a five. 
in my opinion. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. When you've got the options they've got, uh, even though. Um, I I went for Willem Z because I thought he actually outshone Wokey, 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 whatever the hell he's called. Um, I thought he was very, very good in a year when Wokey was the was the boy who was meant to like really shine. I thought Willem Z was really good. And I'm gonna go for Tagburn. Tagburn. I thought he was really, really solid for Ireland. Again, I nearly put a Toje in there, but gonna go for Burn. He was yeah, really good. Um and uh, as you expect, very especially when you've got the back line, the back like back row of Ireland, he just adds that extra dimension of another player who can do it all. Um yeah, so really yeah. good and and he does look fantastic especially with the uh, the announcement of um devon toner's retirement as well he, he's he cemented that shirt now hasn't he is is that he's a very sort of a different player to to toner because devon toner was about eight foot seven so um he's a more sort of powerful player isn't he but no i think that that's those fair picks all round for for the second row uh back row who have you gone for so i've gone for your lunch at six, I don't know if that's how you say his name. I probably butchered that. Jelange, uh, Van der Fleer at seven and Ulder at eight. But for me, six was a difficult one, nobody really, really stood out. Um, but yeah, I thought he was good. So, no credit. I, I went for I, I was the same with Ulder at eight, I thought he was fantastic. Might be player of the tournament if we're being honest when that, that sort of comes around. Um, I went for Rory Dodge at seven just because I thought he'd burst onto scene. He was really good in and around the breakdown, fantastic. And I think it takes a lot to outshine a Hamish Watson in a back row. And I think he probably did that, um, which is is world class, really. I do want to give an honourable mention to Lamarow, though, because I, I did think he was Same. fantastic too. Um, and then I went for Caelan Doris at six, just the, the carrying ability. Could have been Van der Fleer. I know he played seven most of the time, but I just like Caelan Doris. I think he's class. So, um, yeah, Doris, Dodge, and Old Dre go for the Dodge back row. Nine. I think we've gone the same, haven't we? I imagine Dupont. Yeah, I mean Gibson Park ran in close. Um, Gibson Park was really good. Uh, I've never really rated Gibson Park that highly before this tournament. Um, like for me, Conor Murray's still such a good player, but I think Gibson Park really went right. I'm number nine. Shows why he plays for Leicester, week, Leicester, Leinster, week in, week out. Um, yeah, but Dupont no. Yeah, I, I agree. And just on that Ireland point, um, I think it'd be interesting to see at what point do we see um, Craig Casey come in as the backup nine now, just as that young player coming through, looking really good for Munster. Obviously, had a couple of Ireland caps too. At what point do we see? Sort of that Sexton um, Murray nine ten go out the window, and then you bring in these younger players coming through because I think Casey looks fantastic as well. But no, I'm very much in the same boat with Gibson Park. Cooney, Cooney, yeah. Well, the thing is, I think Cooney's been ready for a few years, but just hasn't really been been brought up on it. So interesting. I think that one, I'm not sure. the one thing that I would say for them is is when you have Gibson Park in and uh, Murray on the bench. They are very similar players. You haven't got one of those who's going to like dart around and and, and play really quickly. Um, Which is what Craig Casey bring, brings in absolute bagfuls. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the, big fan of Craig Casey and his hair. 
So great lid, really great lid. So yeah, look forward to, to seeing that mullet bobbing around in Six Nations to come. Um, I've gone for Smith at 10. Same. It's between him and Untermack, wasn't it? And yeah, for me, could have been Untermack. Smith's just how well he played in an England team that was shit, let's be honest. He was so good. Um, scored yeah. 99% of the points. I think he was top point scorer in the tournament, I believe. Might have made that up, but I'm pretty sure he was. And if if we thought England were bad, imagine if we hadn't had him playing, how bad England would have been. Um, True. it doesn't agree. You don't, yeah. You don't really want to think about it from an English perspective if, if Smith wasn't playing. So yeah, it's, for me, it's got to be Marcus Smith. True. We'll, we'll go for the wingers next. Um, oh, I don't know. I are you still writing this team as you're going? No, I've got a couple of names for wingers because well, I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first. I've gone for Darcy Graham. I thought he was fantastic this uh, this tournament, and I've also yep. gone for Monte Ioni. Yeah. Consistently. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go for Ioni for reasons I said earlier in the part of him not being as good as he is earlier in the tournament. Um, but I, I agree, Darcy Graham, for me, he was he was well, uh, Scotland's best player. Uh, he looks as well. Yeah, I know. Like that, yeah, try against um, Resubit, where Resubit's like six foot three and he's five foot seven or whatever it is and goes under. Um, I, I shout out Villiers. I mean, he scored a hat trick in his first game against Italy, and then didn't really do anything. Uh, Mac Hansen was also good coming in for Ireland, but I'm gonna go for Pano. He's just so bloody good, isn't he? He's just yeah. everything he does. I mean, obviously he played centre quite a bit, Claremont, but on the wing he does it just as much. He comes off his wing, steps, bumps, scores, kicks, runs. He just does a lot, doesn't he? Very yeah. good. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. He's, yeah, fantastic. I think the only reason I didn't go for Pano is we're so used to, to seeing him put in 11 out of 10 performances week in, week out. I think he's sat comfortably at about an eight or nine this tournament. So he's not been as good as we've seen him, but he's still been fantastic. So um, for me, I just think Ioni's been more consistent throughout the tournament in terms of, yeah, just his own standards. But to be honest, it could have it could have easily been Pano in mine as well. Um Centres, who have you gone for? So 12, for me, it's it's not even a doubt. It's Dante. He was the best 12, comfortably offered France a, a good crash at the middle option, but then a lot more as well. Um, and then 13, I'm going Fiku, but Gary Ringrose was very good. I know you're 13 options, so I'll let you say him. But yeah, I think Fiku just did it all. Um, in, in previous years, I've kind of... I think Fiku's been a bit more of a bit player, obviously played on the wing, moved when Vakatawa's been in, played on the wing, um, and moved around a lot more. But he just seems so solid, gelled everything together. His hands are great, got great footwork and, and, and pace. So yeah, I, I'd go for Fiku. Yeah, I agree. Um, great player, fantastic player. He's, he's so he's just so composed, isn't he? At all times, he never looks flustered. He just always goes about his business and just Absolutely smashes it. Um, I went for Dante two at twelve, um, but I also went for Chris Harris at thirteen. Um, might be a little tiny bit of Gloucester bias sneaking in there, uh, but he's so used to being one of the best defensive players in the world. I think what we've seen this season is a lot more, or this tournament, sorry, I should say, is a lot more attacking um, flair from them. Um, 
yeah, very, very strong. I, I like, I like the way Harris plays, and the fact that he's added this attacking dimension as well, just makes him a really, really desirable thirteen to have in your side. Um, so yeah, Dante and Harris for me, which only leaves fullback. Uh, who did you go for? I've forgotten who you've gone for. That fullback. Yeah. I've gone Hugo Keenan. Um, it, for me, it's between him and Jamine. And um, Jamine was very good, obviously very young. Uh, yeah, I was saying before the podcast, he's got a mad stat where he's played more games internationally than he has in the top 14, um, which is unbelievable. Like, I just can't get my brain that. But yeah, um, he, he's really good, really young. Obviously, kicks now for France. But um, made a few mistakes, I think, especially kicking-wise. So Hugo Keenan was massive, obviously made that massive tackle on Hog this weekend. And he just looked overall, I think, for me, in previous years, Keenan, I've always wondered why Keenan gets in so often over some of these other players like Lama or Lowry. And maybe he isn't quite as attacking as Lowry, but he really stepped up defensively this year, I thought. Um, and he's got a great boot on him. Um, so, yeah, I'll go for Hugo Keenan. Oh, that's for definitely fair enough, and I think no one will argue with with you on that one. That he has been fantastic. Um, I've gone for a couple of different options. For me, it was between Jaminet and Stewart. Uh, Jaminet's come through, and he really seems like the the piece that that France were winning. Where where Untermax kicking's not it's it's very high standard, but it's not. It's you don't look at him and think nailed, nailed, nailed. You think of it, oh, we should probably kick this. Jamine's come in, absolutely solidified that, and he brings so much sort of around the field as well. Um, when I found out he was 22 years old, I thought uh, I was ex- I was thinking he was sort of a, a tried tested sort of 28 year old, 29 year old in the game, but for him to come through at such a, a young age, um, at this this high level, sort of out of nowhere, really. Um, I think he's been fantastic, but I think the one I'll go for is Stewart, just because I think for me he's probably top three, top five fullbacks in the world at the moment, certainly under the high ball. Um, he brings power, he brings pace, he just he just brings security at the back. I think he's I think he's been fantastic. Um and yeah, I'm, I'm I, I think he'll be in that uh England 15 shirt for a long time to come. Yeah. I think Stuart for me got done over a little bit by the wingers, not England's wingers being poor. Um, because I think as a as a fullback, well, it's a, it's a back three, isn't it? You all have to work in cohesion. And I think he was a little bit let down by his wingers. Um, I think if, if wingers look good, your fullback more often than not looks good. So yeah, but um yeah, a respectable choice. A bit yeah. of English bias. I agree. And I think both took there was there was Whereas the teams didn't necessarily have the performances they were after this season, um, I think the, there were a lot of individual performances that that certainly uh, deserve some accommodation. So credit to, to those players. And I, I think both of these teams are, are pretty strong. And I don't think there'll be too many arguments with the majority of those, but I'm sure I'll probably be, uh, be wrong about that anyway. Um, but Six Nations is over now. We, we turn our attention back to the Premiership. Um Big round of fixtures. I sort of forgot. I, I as a as a Gloucester fan, I said the other day, it was, I'm not used to the stress of the top four battle, and I am stressed at the moment. Um, we we spoke about it a million times before. This can go any way at the moment, and there's some pretty big, crucial fixtures in that battle this weekend. 
Um, and I think if there's a couple of teams that, that lose, this could be the end of their top four hopes. So it kicks off on Friday night. Should we, should we, do, should we both do a little bit of a prediction this week just for a switch up? Yeah, can do. I'm, we'll go I'm for dying. that. We'll go for that. So we start on the Friday with Gloucester versus Worcester. I think that'll be a, a pretty big shift. Um, news today that, that Willie Hines has departed the club imminently just after coming back for, from injuries, going back to New Zealand. Um, and then Vailanu is also, as we've, we've mentioned earlier in the pod, he's going across to Glasgow. So two big losses. Um, for this game, Vailanu is available. He goes at the end of the season. Willie Hines is not. But Dion van der Merwe comes back from his ban and will be pretty keen to, to give the shed something to worry about. Um, how, how can you see this one going, James? I think this could be a banana skin. Uh, well, it is a must-win for Gloucester. You're looking at this and some of the results they've got towards the end of the season. Uh, some of the fixtures, sorry, they've got towards the end of the season. They have to win this game if they want to get top four. And I see them doing it fairly comfortably. I'd imagine a bonus point win. Uh, I know they've got Van der Merwe back and they look much better with him. But if you look at their away results this season, um, they've only got anything from Newcastle, where I think they drew away at Newcastle. I think... Every other game, I might be wrong, I might miss one, but I'm pretty sure every other game they've lost and fairly comprehensively. Um, is that away from home, do you say? Yeah. Did they, was the, the extra game was at six ways, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I got confused. I thought that might have been away, but it's not, it was at home. Don't worry, ignore me. Carry on, proceed. Yeah. So every away game, pretty much they've lost fairly comprehensively. So, I can only see it going one way, really. Gloucester comfortably back in front of the shed and King's own Friday night lights. Love it. Fair um, play, fair play. I'll be there enjoying a, a couple of responsible Guinness, I think. Um, Bath versus Sale. Interesting. What do you think? Uh, sale. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. On Bath full noise. Well, I can't see. It's just awesome. the season, don't they? Don't matter. Yeah, Sale got a better squad either way, I think. And Sale are just playing better at the moment. True, very true. One thing I will say, um, Nathan Hughes has been recalled back to Bristol as back row cover for the rest of the season, as far as I'm aware. And also, um, apparently, it's been confirmed by Claremont behind the scenes that um, it's all been signed off that... Uh, Nathan Hughes will go across to France to play his club rugby for Claremont next season. Again, we'll, we'll see how true that is. But from what I'm being told, that is what is happening. So interesting to see that. And a big loss for Bath because they just started building around him, really, didn't they? But Falatau comes back in anyway, so he, he can fill that eight gap. Yeah. I, I'm still not convinced they haven't done it just for tactic reasons. But I, I think you might be right there, to be honest. I think you might be right. Um, for me, though, this fixture... Sale all their big names back. Manu Tuolangi potentially back. Yeah, I think I think Sale will probably do this one at the recreation ground. Um, probably the biggest fixture of the weekend, London Irish, Northampton Saints. Northampton are looking like an outside bet now for the top four. If they lose this game, it's definitely lights out, I'd say. Um, it's one of those games where it's a little bit double bubble because not only do you get four points behind the top four, you lose the gap of four points, five points between yourself and London Irish then expands as well because London Irish would jump up a few places. Oh, tough one. I think Irish will do it, personally. 
Irish Saints at Irish. Yeah. Yeah, Irish will do them. Irish look really strong at home. Um, and Northampton haven't looked at it. I mean, they got done, but they get they get all their players back. But yeah, I I can't see them beating Irish at home, who are, are making it really hard to beat um, at Brentford's ground. Um, yeah, I think Irish, and that yeah that will put Northampton out of top four completely. Yeah. And maybe in a, a top eight, they might struggle to get top eight. Well, that's that's certainly the next battle they'll have to look at should they lose it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a tense end to the season. Um, Saracens versus Bristol, been played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, cool. I don't think you can look past Saris for this one, can you? Especially with the way Bristol have been playing and their injury list. Yeah, no, it's going to be Saris. They've got Farrell back, all their big names back. Obviously, they've missed them for the last eight or so weeks. Um, yeah, Saris. I think fairly comfortably. I don't know why it's been played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. To be honest, that's probably a negative for Saris, but because uh, I think at home they would have beaten them even more comfortably. But yeah, I think Saris fairly comfortably. Yeah, I think you. I think you might be right. Um, Wasps versus Newcastle. Wasps haven't been in great form recently, um, but Newcastle certainly haven't been either. So I'd probably say Wasps should coast home on this one. Yeah, Wasps fairly comfortable at home. Newcastle or in all sorts of problems. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Final game of the weekend, the big one, X to Leicester Tigers at Sandy Park, crucially to, to note. Exeter have been grinding out performances again recently as well, haven't they? Yeah, I think Leicester, though, for me, um, they're just too good right now. They've got all their internationals back, Genge, Stewart, they're going to look dangerous and Sandy Park's actually, I think Exeter recently have actually been better away from home than they have at home, so which is weird. So I think I think Leicester will do them over, which yeah. blows over all, which is not good for Exeter. No, all their big names back as well. Bit of a spat in the news as well this week on the between Neil Fisler and um, Namani Nadolo. Don't know if you've seen that, but um, rugby paper writer Neil Fisler giving some uh, under undercover potential information about Nadolo's move back to Super Rugby for next season. Um, and I'd probably say from Nadolo's reaction, it might have a little bit of truth to it. So watch this space. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be a cracker. I'd probably say Leicester as well. I think it'll be close. But again, if X to lose that game, that'd be, be tough to get back into the top four, won't it, if they, if they don't get the win? Yeah. Did we just agree on all our predictions? Should we go back through? So I went I went Gloucester, Sale, Irish, Saris, Wasps, Leicester. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. We're just great minds, mate. That's what they say. Yeah. Great minds. But no, it's going to be a good weekend of fixtures. And yeah, it's. Yeah, I know we always say how rubbish it is when internationals are lost from the club sides. But... Getting them all back. I feel like a kid on Christmas Eve. I'm excited to see all of these big names back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> you sound delighted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the, some of, sometimes it is actually better because you see some more attacking rugby, I think, because sometimes it's a bit more structured when all your first team players are there. But to be honest, it, you don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. 
roll on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, roll it on. Don't get too excited though. You might no. uh, might have a sugar rush or something if you carry on the way you're going. Um, but I will be watching as much of it as possible. Um, Home Alone this weekend, just me and the dog. Absolutely loving it. Um, Kevin? Watching, what was that? The Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we will be getting in the beers, me and the dog, and probably a, a little Chinese or two. Shed a two kgs this week, James, so I'm ready for a Chinese and put it all back on again um, and hopefully watch a bit of good rugby to accompany it. So, yeah, what a weekend of fixtures we've got and uh, up the Azori. Up the Azori. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to edit this podcast and James is going to go to bed, I think. So we will see you on next week's episode of the Rugby Collective Pod. Remember, every Friday at 10 a.m. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.